Apostle Paul wrote to Philippians, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is a reminder to check what your mind is filled with. What do you spend most of the time thinking about? There is wisdom in Paul's advice. Healthy thinking leads to healthy living. It's Saturday, December 11th, 2021, and today I'm commenting on the topic of cryptocurrency, and I will attempt to hopefully make the concept of blockchain a bit clearer. And my co-host Vadim reviews the week's news in relation to the vaccine mandates. Welcome to LifeRing, a podcast where we strive to provide you with a well-rounded review of what is going on in the world between Monday and Friday of this past week. My name is Alex, and I'm looking forward to this episode today with my friend and regular co-host Vadim. Hi, Vadim. Hello. What's new with you? Uh, not much, I guess. I had mandatory training <laughs> this week. Well, like you were forced, because oh, you're part of the union, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that was fun. So, so you're progressing in your um, in my apprenticeship badges or yeah, apprenticeship, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, not really. It's just it's not it really progress. Game? It's just it's scheduled way ahead of time, and you just have to do it whether you're working anywhere or not. But you are back in business, right? Or yes, will sir. Be? Yes, right. sir. That's cool. Life is good. That's nice. That's good to hear. What about you? Um, well, I am excited about the season, but then at the same time, I think we're one third into December, which is quick it tends to get busy around holidays for me not this year i think i even postponed like we do the children's christmas party oh yeah i heard about that you guys put it off till like january right yeah yeah so the guy that i uh, let's see assistant your your right hand man yeah the other guy that i work with in children's ministry right Mm -hmm. um uh, he suggested the idea of doing the christmas party based on the russian russian calendar the slavic way of Celebrating Christmas, which is in January 7th instead of 25th. Mm. Anyways. All right. Let's dive into our first uh, story. So what is blockchain? You undoubtedly heard this word before. Something to do with cryptocurrency, right? Something to do with NFTs. Well, blockchain is a decentralized database. Say, for example, in everything that we do right now, like in relation to money, we have to trust a third party to complete a transaction. That would be bank, right? So blockchain is something that challenges this approach by creating an open and decentralized database, which means it doesn't sit in one specific place. And this removes the middleman and essentially cements authenticity of the transaction. So I'll, I'll explain. Here, here's what I've learned so far. And now if there's someone out there that happens to know way more than I uh, in what I'm about to share, then I would love to have a chat with you and maybe even have you as a guest. But for today, you know, considering that we can look up anything online, here's uh, what I've been able to grasp so far, and I hope it, it helps you understand the blockchain a little better. Here's an example that was shared by Kevin James on, on YouTube. Uh, as I watched this video, the first idea that he introduced is this idea of distributed ledger, ledger being a list of transaction, right? Which is to say that the record keeping is done by each party involved rather than by one centralized system. Here's a cool example. Apparently 500 AD, 1,500 years ago, right? Mm. Uh, on the Yap Island of in, in Micronesia uh, lived uh, lived these people known as Yapis. And they used stones as their money. They, they call them Rai stones. Rai, R-A-I. Mm. 
Ray. Ray. So these were carved out of crystalline limestone shaped like a disc, kind of like the, I guess, Chinese money. Have you seen Chinese coins? I haven't seen them, but it, I mean, I'm looking at the picture here. It looks like a pre-industrial wheel, I guess. Like, Yeah, yeah. It's essentially like, they say a disc, but it's more like a donut, mm-hmm. flat donut. Anyway, so the size would range from one and a half inch to 12 feet in diameter. Now, the biggest one apparently weighed, the one they found on the island, was around 8,800 pounds. Damn. I mean, these are pretty heavy. And so the heaviest of these were obviously placed in, you know, in certain places around the island. And that posed a problem. If, you know, if, if they had to be moved around all the time, that would be kind of an issue, right? These, these are heavy stones. So instead of moving them, they would memorize the location and ownership of their large coin. Each time uh, there was a transaction done, they would essentially update their mental ledger of that transaction, right? Each one. And this is what you would call a, a distributed ledger. And that ledger is the list of all the transactions that was known by all the people rather, they, but rather than by just one person. Now, they could have selected someone to be that central person, but that means that they have to, well, trust that person, trust their character. Also, that person would be able to then, let's say, charge fees for the work that they're, you know, for the time they put into keeping the ledger or make the rules of how and when you can make the transactions. Also, what happens if that person gets sick or they move or die or, you know. So essentially, if they chose that one person, that's what, that, that's what we have as a bank system today, right? The bank essentially authenticates all of our transactions. I think I get what you're trying to say, but is it, do these people have a written language? Like, wouldn't that be better than... Any one person or updating the ledger by basically word of mouth? Remember, they weren't necessarily trying to implement blockchain. What they did is unknowingly demonstrated what a blockchain is. Now, in real life, apparently that's not a very effective solution. It seems like it. But in the digital world, it makes sense because of the amount of um, veracity that it brings to the whole idea of, of, you know, when it's like distributed amongst everybody. The accuracy that it, that it you know, because now you're, it's decentralized. You don't have to just worry about one person. And even if they would have kept the list, that's a good point that you bring up. That list could have been altered by whoever guards the list. Yeah, but their word of mouth ledger could be altered by someone lying about a transaction. And, and that's what makes it secure, actually. So imagine one of the YAPs person, you know, claimed they own a rye stone that, that is not theirs their claim would actually fall flat because everyone else's mental ledger contradicts the statement because you have a whole island, you know, so many parties involved and each one has, you know, and so the veracity of each one's claim would then be compared to everybody else's mental ledger and it would quickly be discovered that this person is obviously out of line. So blockchain then uses this decentralized approach where no single person owns or controls the blockchain. It is rather owned by the collective network of all of involved parties, right? So what, what's secure about it is, is if a hacker, let's say, in a blockchain tried, tried to defraud the blockchain, his altered record, which now says that, say, he owns half of all the cryptocurrency, would be checked against all the blockchain copies across the whole blockchain network of nodes and thus fail immediately. Because in order to succeed, he would need to alter the records of at least 51 of all the nodes to where then, you know, all the comparisons would run and say, okay, the majority says this. But even then, that's, first of all, just an insurmountable task. Plus, it would not go unnoticed. 
either way, if somebody was to alter something, right? Most databases out there uh, have someone managing them, which gives them access to alter the records, change them, and so on. Not so with blockchain. There's just simply no central storage or ownership. For example, uh, Bitcoin network in itself, which is one example of, of blockchain. Blockchain is just a technology, if you will, an approach. But Bitcoin network has a ton of volunteers running these full public nodes, is what they call them. And at this time, they have 14,700 nodes running uh, on the Bitcoin network. Each node is then individual party that is uh, keeping a ledger. These are the individuals overseeing the transactions. And you can be one of them too. The only thing common among these people is the invested interest in the value of their cryptocurrency, right? Because they have a stake in it. So blockchain nodes keep track of all the transactional records with timestamps. And once compared with the rest of the network, and it is validated, it then becomes irreversible and cannot be altered. And this process, they use cryptography, which is a secure way of obscuring the contents and messages so that they can only be unlocked with one unique key. So it's very safe, very secure, and every piece of information is then secured by being ran through this algorithm or functions that turn, say, let's take, for example, the summary of my identity. Um, they would take that and turn it into a digital string of code that is unique to me alone because no one else has the same address, name, same spouse name, same kid's name, and so on. If you take that information and then you run it through a function that would just randomize you know, a certain code, you'd get a very unique uh, you know, string of, let's say, 20 characters. And that string of code can only be generated with my identity and thus can be verified only by my identity. Now, I've seen it explain it like this. Imagine your landlord sends you a contract that you both are signing on both ends. Now, we're going to run it through this algorithm. And what the algorithm will do is compare the contents of your contract, run it through the function, see the kind of output it will get. Now, if only comma was altered in my, in, in my version of the contract, even just one comma, it will, the algorithm, once it runs through this mathematical equation, it will already come up with a completely random, you know. There has to be this hash string comparison. What your form, what the same formula, what you generated on your end and what it generated on my end based on the document. Yeah, the example makes, like, it makes me think of, um, like, when you're taking a test and you fill out all the answers and then the person that's grading you just has, like, a, like a piece of paper with holes punched into it and then they lay it over and they see if all the answers are correct, then, they, then that means you pass. But if there's something uh, that doesn't line up, then exactly. it'll show that. Yep, yep. So it's matching of, yeah, there's only one one match that could be to your unique hash string, if you will. So now then, Bitcoin came out in 2008, and at that point, I guess nobody cared about what it was or what it could be besides the creators, I suppose. The world just wasn't ready for it. Now, about six years later, after the Bitcoin and the blockchain news broke, uh, two major companies engaged in using the blockchain technology, which was, uh, I think, Disney and eBay. Now, as of September of this year, 2021, 81 of the world's top 100 public companies use blockchain technology today. And today it's used in such areas as, according to forecast.news, as, as payments, identity, reputation, trade finance, banking, supply chain, logistics. Uh, they also go on to say with the use cases uh, that include blockchain as a service, interbank transaction, and traceability. Now, Bitcoin was the first instance of proof of work uh, of this blockchain concept, even though the idea itself was developed first, actually in 1991. There were these two guys who, who were looking for a way uh, to make timestamping a digital document unalterable so nobody could change it. 
hard to tamper with. And so they came up with this distributed ledger idea. Like if it's on multiple networks, then it's kind of hard to hack into that, if that makes sense. Because now everybody has multiple copies of the same info. So they described this method of storing documents in these blocks of data that then would be linked together like a chain across the network, hence the blockchain. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I I know I've heard the word blockchain before, but it's something that something that you can get by without having to even know what it is. You can use it in a sentence. I think it's akin to internet. When it was, you know, 1995 and people started talking about internet like it became, you know, more or less public and then as you go in towards 2000s, more and more people talk about it. Now you could wait until, you know, everybody else adopts it and you're going to be one of the last adopters sort of just kind of ride the wave, but um I, I think there's benefit in understanding it. And so right now we're just beginning to kind of clear the fog on what this thing is. And I think it it, it it's going to be important in in the years to come. But one of the implications of that is that um Somebody was saying 10, 10 years uh, from now, it's likely that uh, we're going to be taxed, for example, through the blockchain. Also, think about uh, application and voting, right? So now you don't have to worry about fraud because essentially everybody who's part of, you know, like everybody's ledgers are updated at the same time. There's no more like, let's review the, your records and let's review the records of the audit and, and all of that. Yeah, it's a bit perfect. I can't, I can't <laughs> wait to log on to the blockchain and check out. <laughs> your social credit score in real time like the china social credit system yeah. you know and that's why i'm covering the stories um there's a few good reasons really one is that uh i do have a story that i'm about to share and two that it's something that we will have to come to terms with whether we like it or not and so the sooner we understand what's going on the better we will be equipped to make the right decisions as we go about our life so here's the story this week now i as I said, uh, Bitcoin was created by anonymous uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Well, the man behind the pseudonym is apparently Australian computer scientist Craig Wright, who in 2016 implied in a blog post that he's the creator. Now, remember, he created it in 2008. Now, many have doubted his claims, uh, mainly because he hasn't moved any of the early Bitcoin presumed to be mined by Satoshi, according to CNBC. So here's the news. On Monday, this Monday, Wright prevailed in a Miami civil case uh, that pitted him against the family of his late business partner and computer forensic expert David Kleiman. At stake was half of the 1.1 million Bitcoin mined, mined and held by Satoshi, uh, a cash currently worth around $54 billion. What they're going on to say is the prosecutors argued that Kleiman was a co-creator of Bitcoin alongside Wright, entitling him to half of the Satoshi's assumed fortune. A federal jury in the West Palm Beach sided with Wright and declined to award any of the Bitcoin to Kleiman's estate, according to CNBC. Wait, so was uh, was this before or after, I don't know if you were going to mention it, but before or after it dropped, like, it dropped like nine grand on Monday. Right, and, uh, and probably in anticipation of the case, I, I assume. Um, here, here's what I heard from or read from Forbes. Uh, they went on to say Bitcoin and cryptocurrency prices remain under significant pressure following a sharp sell off last weekend, sparking worrying bubble warnings. The Bitcoin price has, all, has lost almost 20% since last week and is trending downward, moving lower along the second largest cryptocurrency by value. And that's Ethereum. The Ethereum price has lost around 15% over the last week. Now, one closely watched analyst had said he expects the U.S., notice this, to, quote, embrace cryptocurrency in 2022, predicting that the Bitcoin price 
appears to be on a trajectory for a hundred thousand dollars, which currently it's at forty-eight thousand as of the time of the recording. Mm -hmm. And he says also, you, uh, Ethereum price could be uh, at five thousand. I mean, if Bitcoin's gonna gonna double, then Ethereum should be at like nine thousand. So, anyways, considering the inflation that we're facing right now, which creates a lot of uh, financial tensions. And the growing distrust in government, who are, by the way, have ensured that they get a piece of uh, the crypto pie through new taxes and regulations, it's likely that we'll be seeing a shift towards digital currency and most likely a global one. We are to proceed into this reality then with caution that although it is fascinating, it has the potential to be destructive to humanity. Now, this week, according to New York Times, uh, quote, the United States Surgeon General on Tuesday warned that young people are facing devastating mental health effects as a result of the challenges experienced by their generation, including coronavirus pandemic. So a big part of it is that they spend time online, uh, immersed in the virtual world of media and pop culture trends. And, and because of that, their self-esteem is affected. Um, their values start to shift because they value things that they see in the lives of other people more than the things that they have in their own lives. And so it's concerning because this virtual world messes with the minds of our youngest people right now, right, growing up. Now, of course, just like everything else, we will adjust to, you know, as a society, we'll adjust to the next technological breakthrough. But th there might be danger in all of this. And we, we as leaders, as parents, as, as uh, older siblings, as, you know, responsible members of the society need to keep that in mind. That as we progress and, and, and take the best of what innovation brings about, that we do not leave behind us a trail of uh, shattered lives, shattered young lives who were not able to adapt to the pressures and sudden changes, I guess, in, in you know, what these innovations bring about. So metaverse, you know, it, it sounds like, like a possible escapist solution because it does shift our focus from things that are, you know, should be valued in the real world uh, to the things that are valued in a virtual world like NFTs and, you know, and now digital currency. And that's not good for we were created to live and enjoy in a physical world. That's, that's the way we were designed to be um, by our creator. And, and so this, this, this current culture shift is strange, but it's not altogether bad. That is why we need to stay alert, get educated in what's going on around us, get grounded in the word and proceed with wisdom from above. <laughs> Welcome to Lightning Round, where we get to comment on some of the most important, outstanding, and interesting stories of this past week, while offering a brief commentary and hopefully inspiring you to look into uh, those stories more if you're interested. So we're beginning with the world stories. According to Associated Press, uh, this happened in Mexico. A cargo truck jammed with people who appeared to be Central American migrants rolled over and crashed into a pedestrian bridge over highway in southern Mexico on Thursday, killing at least 53 people and injuring dozens more, authorities reported. So what uh, they're saying here is that this this uh, truck, th they had about 100 people in there, so uh, slammed into a highway bridge and or a pedestrian bridge over a highway. And uh, a lot of these people were women and, and children. They're saying these victims appeared to be immigrants from Central America, though their nationalities have not yet been confirmed. Yeah, that's really tragic. I mean, uh, they talked about the Mexican government that was uh, helping out to identify the dead and to cover their funeral costs. Or Well, okay, what, what strikes me is that the this whole situation is 
tragic all around. These people have been, a lot of them were in search of a better life, right? I mean, I, I can't claim for, you know, each individual on that on that truck, but apparently that's something that they do. They, here, here's something I read. Apparently, uh, this, this number of people in, in a freight truck is, is not unusual. Uh, later on, they wrote, in October, in one of the largest busts in recent memory, authorities in the northern border state of Tamaulipas found uh, 652 mainly Central American migrants jammed into a convoy of six freight trucks heading towards the U.S. border. No, my main point is that you got people who are who are in this, you know, in the truck going towards a better life. Yes, they're doing these, you know, dangerous, they're making these dangerous choices, right? Which possibly put them in jeopardy at any point of the way. I mean, well, I'm just thinking about how many, uh, you know, the communities that they left to take this trip. Like, are they going to be, are they going to continue to hear, you know, stories based on the people that made it? Or, you know, scare stories about people that, you know, had accidents like this, which are... I mean, to be fair, like this is very unusual. There's an article here from BBC News that talks about New Zealand that plans on banning cigarettes for future generations. So apparently they're making a cutoff. Um, anyone born after 2008 in New Zealand will never, ever, ever be able to legally buy cigarettes. That being said, there's no such provisions being made for... Um, you know, controlling things like uh, like vaping, which is, I mean, probably more popular amongst the youth anyway, but... And possibly more dangerous, depending on what kind of chemicals they are ingesting. I mean, I, I think that studies show short-term, at least, that they, there's a relative, relatively less danger. But then again, there's not a lot of long-term data. And we had a few scares, uh, you know, a few years back where people were buying like stuff off the black market and then you know there was a couple events where those things exploded in in people's mouths and stuff ouch scary stuff so anybody who's 14 years or younger essentially will not yeah i don't know how this is going to work i mean because the critics are saying it's going to go to black market i mean it's the the, hey mister game you know like it's just going to be there's always going to be people that are eligible to buy it, so the stores selling tobacco are not right. gonna are not gonna go out of business by any means. Right, that makes sense. I mean, I want to see this maybe ten years down the road. Yeah, where we see it's not a full prohibition, but it's like a, a it's gonna get to the point where there's no one left alive that's eligible to buy this. So they're saying New Zealand is determined to achieve a national goal of reducing its national smoking rate to five percent. At the moment, thirteen percent of New Zealand's adults smoke. All right, so finally, uh, as we're talking about, you know, the wider scope of, of news, uh, remember that ship that got stuck in the w- or wedged in the Suez Canal? I remember it like the, it was yesterday. Ever, <laughs> ever given? Well, apparently it's on its way back to to the canal, and it's going to be passing it on Sunday. Ever given by the... Uh, it's called Ever Given, but if you recall, and what you, you asked in the beginning, like what, what, whether it's... Yeah, it says Evergreen on the side. It does. And apparently that's the company that operates it. Uh, check it out this Sunday as you're listening to this episode. Uh, what, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see, I guess, what, the, what, what is it called? Pilot decides to do. So this is an article from NBC News that talks about uh, the actor Jesse Smollett. So he had his trial and he was found guilty by the jury on five of the six charges. Um, so he was accused of falsely reporting that he was the victim of a uh, disturbing and uh, hate-fueled beating. From what I understand, it was found out that um, that these people that he accused of of 
beating him were in like in, in cahoots with him. He had previously, you know, went clubbing with them, went to a bathhouse with them, you know, did drugs with them and stuff. So they were they were pretty tight. And he's, you know, exactly the kind of people you would uh, mm-hmm. you would ask to help you orchestrate a uh, a hate crime against you. So I don't know. I think he got off pretty easy. I feel like they didn't take into account all the implications of um, of like race baiting that he was doing. And he still maintains his innocence and saying that they're going to appeal the verdict. If he was trying to, get, you know, um, gain attention. He, he, yeah, he, he gained attention, but basically, yeah, it just blew up in his face. All right, so according to Reason, prices are rising faster than they have in nearly 40 years. A year-over-year inflation hit 6.8% in November. And government data released Friday morning shows the highest rate of inflation since 1982. November is the sixth consecutive month in which prices have been more than 5% higher than they were a year ago. And they went on to say inflation is hitting just about every category of consumer spending, but some areas are noticeably worse than 2020 levels. For example, energy prices are up 33% since last year. And prices for used cars continue to soar 31% higher than a year ago. Prices for food, clothing have increased by about 6% and 5% respectively. Yeah, it's pretty staggering to, to watch it all unfold. Uh, did you hear about the dollar? Uh, the dollar store is now everything is costing $1.25. I mean, even they had to adjust. I yeah. felt like, though, most of, most of things that you would buy from dollar store will... Already Which, were. I mean, they adjust it by, you know, packaging sizes and, and like, um, you know, basically you get less for that dollar. But, I mean, <laughs> even even they got to the point where they're like, nope, we just got to yep. raise the prices. That's it. They also went on to say that meat prices went up 16%, eggs 8%, milk 5%, and gas prices went 58% in comparison to the same time in 2020. And uh, this next story, sadly... Something probably that we would not want to cover, but because this person has been a reality TV star on a Christian TV show, A Christian Family, uh, a show that ran for quite a while. Uh, The show that was titled 19 Kids and Counting, uh, a big Christian conservative family, had a reality show of their life. Oh, I think I've heard of it, but I, I didn't know his name necessarily. Right. And so, as the children were growing up, this is one of them, uh, Josh Duggar. He was convicted this Thursday of downloading and possessing child sex abuse images on his work computer. So, they're saying they found him guilty on one count, each of receiving and possessing child pornography. He faces up to 20 years in prison and fines of up to 250000 for each count when he's sentenced. Uh, The article from NBC News went to point out evidence presented to the court included logs of Duggar's internet use, which included downloading the images, sending personal messages, and saving pictures. Now, the attorneys denied all the allegations during trial, saying someone else downloaded the images, and that Duggar's own personal devices were clear of any illicit material. I mean, I don't know if you would compare it to to what happened with Ravi Zacharias, where like you kind of want to hold back because because he passed away, and so there's a lot of things that he can never answer for, really. But I mean, in this case, like, yeah, why not throw the book at him? I, I guess you you would partially expect him to deny the allegations, right? I don't know if we should leave like a little bit of benefit of a doubt that 
somebody did come up and, you know, I don't know, brought this. Could, could somebody have built a case against him because he's a Christian? There's just a possibility for that. However, if you look at, you know, what's happened in the past, uh, also according to this article, in 2015, following the apparent hack of the extramarital affairs website Ashley Madison, Duggar was revealed to have frequented the site. He released a statement following reports by The Hollywood Reporter and Gawker saying that he was so ashamed of the double life that I had been living and apologized to his wife. He checked himself into rehabilitation center not long after, according to his mother's blog at that time. So the the idea that, you know, this is, could have been set up against him um, seems like something that's kind of, a, you know, happened in the past. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've honestly, um, I, I didn't really know who he was before this, so I can't vouch for him. But that seems like kind of a stretch. In other news, also from Christian headlines, um, the plumber that found uh, that found all the money in, in Joel Osteen's Lakewood church uh, has been awarded twenty thousand dollars. You know, he said he's really grateful for it, um, and that you know bills are stacking up, work is getting slow, so this money is going to help tremendously. But um, he he was also a little bit hurt that Joel Osteen himself uh, never contacted him. Uh, so it was kind of that done was important all through. He was like, I felt like at this point I should have heard something. I'm just, I'm just a little bit upset. Well, I mean, think about it. Like he could have, he could have made off with the money, in a sense. I don't know how well, how much he was being watched, but he could have come away with a lot more than twenty thousand. He did the right thing. I was, I was trying to read this comment right here where it says Houston. So Crime Stop. That's this is at that time when the first it was reported that six hundred thousand was missing. Hmm that the Crime Stoppers offered 5000 for any information leading to an arrest. And then Lakewood offered additional 20000 reward for the information. So this guy essentially, well, he got the information. That's how they decided $20,000. Oh. See what I'm saying? Like back in the days when they, because it was reported, right, that, that it right. was missing. Right, they posted a reward amount. So now he cashed in. But still, I'm 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 looking at it. And I'm like 500 envelopes of cash, checks, and money orders. Man, that's that looks like somebody was stashing something up for the future. I feel like if I had 600 grand stashed somewhere, I would be keeping a really close watch on anyone who even got close to that bathroom. So, in the town of Raminskaya near Moscow, up to 200 people were detained at a pastors' conference of the New Generation Churches. So. Russian, what do you call them, SWAT team, apparently burst into this uh, church where there was a bunch of pastors, you know, having a conference. And this is, I guess, there are some things that you expect of Russian SWAT team, right? When they burst into a building, there's, there, I guess, I guess you could expect it from any SWAT team is that they're going to be, um, they're not going to be disrespectful, diplomatic. Yeah, they have a job to get done. They're going to put people on the floor face down, all of that. For me, as I was watching the video, what was uh, weird to see is this contrast of like, you know, you expect church to be something sacred, right? You got people who gathered, they, they were praying for revival. Is In the video, actually, that I saw, it showed uh, like moments before the people burst in. You got, you know, church service going on. These are pastors praying for the country. And then next thing you know, you, you just see this video of, of the officers running in and you hear all the profanity and, you know, they're kicking them and they're, you know, face down on the floor. And just seeing the clash of the two just looked very 
extreme, you would kind of expect them to have at least a little bit of respect that you are in a church, you're in something that's, I don't know. Like you could expect that in a, you, you, you would expect to see that in a Middle East country, not in modern Russia. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't watch the video, but I have a general idea of how the of how the special forces can be expected to conduct their missions. I, I just wonder what was the, were they going off of? Like, was it because they were foreigners or? So the situation currently in Russia is if you're a church, you're supposed to be having a, number one, you're supposed to be registered with the state, every single church. And then if you're doing like videos, for example, on YouTube, you'll see that they'll always have to have a disclaimer that this is a religious registered organization. Now, we know in recent years they have been really pressing down on Jehovah Witnesses. And the main idea behind that is that because Jehovah Witnesses is this international organization and has different political views than, let's say, um, the citizens of Russia are expected to, yeah, the state, they felt the like state they, sanctioned yeah. Ru- Russian Orthodox Church. Yes. So because of that, I guess these churches also got on the list because they, one of them is registered in Latvia and another one in Ukraine. That's either extreme paranoia or like the, some personal vendetta on, on behalf of those, those agents. According to official information, uh, the reason for such a decision was that their activities pose a threat to the foundation of the Constitution Order and the security of Russian Federation. So there you have it. So this next story is from Buffalo News. Um, I'm assuming Buffalo, New York. Um, and so there was a lady who, well, they don't really know how, t- how she got into the river. But the fact of the matter is she was, uh, she was, this car was going downstream, basically on the brink of uh, going over the Niagara Falls. And so they sent somebody, um, they sent a diver over by helicopter to, uh, to get to the car to, you know, open the passenger door and, and pull her out and, and, and lift her to the shore. Um, but th- throughout all this, they, they did not realize that she had already um, she had already passed away. Yeah, at this point, they have no idea whether the vehicle entered the water accidentally or intentionally. That's something that's probably going to be investigated. But witnesses say they just saw the vehicle occupied by a woman go into the falls somewhere between the vehicle bridge and the pedestrian bridge. Al- almost a heroic rescue story, but... She, she was in she wasn't her eight, uh, 60s. In her late 60s. So so as we were recording this podcast, uh, we sometimes recorded late Friday into Saturday. One of the news stories that was developing at that time is, is the news coming out of South and Midwest, where on Friday a tornado ripped across Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Illinois. Uh, as a, a, of the time of, you know, when we're seeing this article here, it says that two have been reported dead, dozens injured, uh, mainly because of the roof collapse at an Amazon distribution center. But apparently this tornado is just massive in size. Yeah, I mean, obviously this story is still developing, but uh, I mean, there was the Amazon center, there's like a candle factory uh, that they're mentioning, and then um, like a nursing home. Oh yeah, the Manette nursing home that had also partially collapsed with five others injured and as many as 20 people were trapped inside. It's crazy though. They're talking about the debris, um, debris getting flung like thirty thousand feet into the air. That's more than I. I didn't think tornadoes were capable of that. That's like, you can't fly an airplane over that. 
So according to and according to Daily Mail, the exact speed of tornadoes were not yet known on Friday night, and it was unclear how many there had been. CNN reported that there were 19 tornadoes that hammered the five states. Some reports suggested that record for the longest single tornado, 219 miles have been broken, and it is, and that it had crossed four states, breaking another record. Observers speculated that many of the tornadoes were at four or even five on the enhanced Fujita scale. Uh, so in other news involving weather, there's an article from, from Associated Press uh, that talks about a shortage of snowplow drivers um, that could become an issue as, as we, um, as I guess we get more snowy, more stormy winter weather. Well, it says states from Washington to Pennsylvania, including Montana and Wyoming, in the Rocky Mountains are having trouble finding enough people willing to take the comparatively low-paying jobs that require a commercial driver license and often entail working odd hours and dangerous conditions. So they're saying that at least in Washington state, uh, the department is down to about 300 employees. So because of the VAX mandates, uh, there is an employee shortage, at least in our state. And I wonder, you know, how it will affect other states. But it might be a really bad uh, situation. We're, we're, we're yet to see, I guess, once it starts really snowing. Uh, because some essentially some passes and roads will be closed longer than, than normal during the significant storms. Like when it when it goes, you know, yeah, but nonstop, I mean, if you will. I, I mean, how hard is it to convince someone to convince them that jumping into a plow in the middle of the night around Christmas time, <laughs> like... Like, that's a good career choice, um, yeah. especially if there's jobs you can have with your qualifications that would pay 10 times that and don't require vaccination. It, it just seems like a disaster. Yeah, I think we're going to start seeing the, the effects and the fallout piling up, much like the snow on the roads. All right. So how about, you know, since we talked about blockchain, so there's this virtual property trading game that is kind of blending the border between virtual reality and the real world this is a blockchain based game which users actually can buy sell and trade virtual properties mapped to the real world they say by becoming a digital landowner users can build their properties and earn upx coins i assume that's upland coins and so the project utilizes blockchain to tie each property within the upload within the upland platform to an NFT. So this doesn't mean that you couldn't make another platform where you sell the same virtual spaces. So it looks like you're... That's one of my concerns is that it's like, what makes this virtual world... Because now you can create hundreds and thousands of them. But that argument kind of lies or falls flat because same with Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, you can create hundreds of these kind of platforms. But then... There's this space on that platform where, you know, it says your name and it says 20 million followers. And that place is valued, you know, it has a, it has a price tag on it. So in a sense, it's like wherever people will flock to and uh, make that platform grow, that's, that's I guess, where growth is going to happen. This in particular platform has already 70,000 users, I want to say. Oh, 60,000 daily active users. Now we're talking about, you know, and they raised right now more money to basically continue the development. They're paying real money 
to buy just chunks of land that they can then sell with other people and or trade with other people and just to be honest i have no idea what the purpose what, of the game is <laughs> what is the end goal so everything's <laughs> going to get bought up and then they're going to be trading amongst each other are, are you are you able to make improvements on the land are you able to rent well you buy sell and trade virtual properties mapped to the real world so if you purchase and and hold a property in upland you own that property forever or until sold i mean it seems pretty pointless right now but maybe we'll be listening to this podcast later and find out that we were disastrously wrong they're almost trying to play off the whole fomo right now and just drive people to like purchase these little pieces because they're saying in the future it will be important because right now it's like the wild west right anybody can claim any property but i assume in the future maybe hold on so so this is i guess where the crossover with the metaverse would happen because i guess then maybe you could build a house here right? yeah but why does anything in the metaverse have to conform to this this platform it doesn't even look that only detailed. if it becomes popular i guess and maybe it's not detailed at the time but consider that this will be a huge war maybe this will be the world okay so here's a story from space.com that talks about um one of china's rovers that is on the moon the u2 number two um they spotted uh this this cube-shaped apparition it's an object that they that they captured on one of their cameras and it looks like a pretty i mean they say that it's a large boulder that's you know that came out of uh, you know being struck by the moon being struck by an asteroid or something but that's a that's a pretty square looking and large boulder if that's what it is and when you look at it from space and they they did have an image of it 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 just looks out of place and it casts a pretty you know uniform shadow uh it might take them a while right it's it said it's going to take like a few months for them to get there cuz this is just you know this rover moving around um but they called it mystery hut that's funny now imagine if they discover that it's like a, a man-made structure hmm. and that i don't know egyptians maybe launch somebody on space if aliens could build our pyramids why can't they build a little hut on the moon <laughs> hey guys welcome back to the show um we have one more main story for you today and it's a zinger so there's been a lot of talk on this program about vaccines and vaccine mandates a couple of different schools of thought i don't know how to put it concisely but there is a st- pretty strong uh, discrepancy i guess in in the way that people view uh, th- this vaccine itself and uh, and the act of taking it i guess so it's a pretty even split you know as much as one side tries to demonize the other and uh, and you know claim some moral high ground judging by by what happened in the senate this week uh, it's a pretty even split uh, we see by the voting results uh so they basically voted to overturn president biden's mandate uh that the businesses with over 100 employees would require vaccinations or routine testing for the the big one nine um so the vote went uh, 5248 in favor of overturning the mandate a couple democrats from west virginia and uh, montana decided to throw away the script and uh i for one am glad that they did uh Now this doesn't mean that the president can't veto it or that the house will have the same voting results um or that state governors won't continue doing their tyrannical machinations but at least it sends a message. Now is this this is similar right to the one that we were talking about how the 6th circuit is reviewing also like a, one of these mandates except that one is a federal one right? Yeah. So I think this one is going through 
um, th- this is a legislative process, whereas uh, the thing that the Daily Wire and, and I'm sure a bunch of other people are suing as well, um, they're taking it through the judicial branch of government. So mm-hmm. this is kind of a two-pronged attack, I guess, on this mandate, which, uh, which is pretty cool. Because if this were to go through, this would become law. Yeah, assuming that yeah, it, it could w- be challenged later. But but the idea is that this would be uh, if it passed through the Senate, it would be law. If it passed through the Congress and Biden signed it, then it would become a law. Yeah, that's right. There's obviously a lot of implications that have to do with this, and you know what's happening in the judicial uh, branch as well. Uh, but th- what it does achieve, at least for now, is that it sends a message, and the message is this: that this overpolished narrative that you see on TV. Uh, here's what you need to know about the vaccine. And then words come in the screen and it's in Comic Sans. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, you have this, these statements that it's safe, it's effective, we should trust the experts. And that's it. Like, that's the end of the commercial break. You know, the actors in lab coats and treating you and making these uh, incongruent, in my opinion, appeals to morality. Um, you have the, the the governor, de Blasio, eating a burger, showing you, the, showing you I guess, the, the ecstasy you're in for. Uh, when you when you finally get the, get the vaccine and then you can get a free burger and then uh, you know entry into lotteries uh, too much to name the message is that this hypnosis is not going to work for people that are not already sold on your product I'm pretty sure most people that went and got the uh, the snake bite did do it to lower personal risk but many must have been just tired of hearing about it and thought that this would make it go away that's what I think but it only made it worse because now they're subscribed to whatever ingredient changes, whatever booster additions are chosen for them. So here's the message, right? That um, this vote is essentially saying that you dangled the carrots to try and get the donkey to move. Then you brought out the sticks, but the donkey has stopped moving on its own half a year ago. And we've had a surplus of vaccines in this country since April, which is uh, how long has it been? Like seven months now. Mm hmm. So all the way then, the donkey had moved as much as it wanted to, and now you're just trying the carrots and sticks to try and um, move it past basically like what what people volunteered for. Um, And if you think the donkey comparison is unkind, that's probably more intellectual credit than the government's giving you right now. I'll I'll tell you that much. But like I said, this vote by itself doesn't really change much because even if it does go through, there's plenty of agents below the federal level that can weaponize this. So there's a couple things I wanted to touch on. One is the political weaponizing. Um, the other is the, the Christian world, uh, how some leaders have reacted and, and, you know, personal level things like religious exemption, things like that. What is political weaponization or weaponizing? Um, I kind of think of it like in the world of politics, it's a huge juggernaut, I would say. Like we've seen in the Virginia elections, and this is not like this week's news, but uh, last month or something, Youngkin got elected um, as governor. And so a lot of his platform was based on this promise that he would not mandate any vaccines. Um, well, this appealed to a lot of freedom loving people. And so he won, but he bamboozled everyone because although he didn't mandate anything as the governor, he also gave local authorities every, pretty much every opportunity to enforce it themselves. So he's like, Oh, I'm not as your governor, I would never dream of mandating this vaccine. But then, but, you know, like, you know, counties and municipalities, you know, wink, wink, like you guys, you guys decide for yourselves. That's kind of, although I wonder how much, how much control does he have over uh, municipalities and and counties and whatnot? I guess as much control as, as uh, Florida's governor has over Florida. Yeah. He's able to do it. In the sense that you can, you can probably draw a line somewhere where you make the 
you make mandating illegal in some sense. Right. And I thought it was illegal because eventually you run out of the statue of, or whatever it's called, the emergency. The emergency provision is, you know, lasts only so long, right? And then you have to, um, I guess, keep proving that it's still an emergency state of emergency. That's an interesting thought because I feel like if you have to prove that it's an emergency situation, then you can just point to all the things you're doing in reaction to the pandemic. So, like, I mean, this like reminds... circular logic, like... Of course, it's an yeah. emergency because look at what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, so it's that's okay. that's the sad thing is that it totally works. Um, like that reminds me of, um, you know, we look around the world, we can see what we can expect uh, if the federal government goes unfettered in in things like that and trying to crack down on the pandemic. Like you guys, you guys talked last week about the um, quarantine camps in Australia, mm-hmm. um, and so there was an interview I saw about uh, a lady named Haley Hodgson who was. Um, she was she was in Howard Springs, which is like the gold standard supposedly of mm-hmm. of uh, quarantine internment camps, which is which mm-hmm. is an oxymoron. But uh, so she basically was tracked down because she was in close contact with an infected person, and while she was there for fourteen days, they tested her three times, and all times were negative. So basically, they like they were keeping surveillance on someone who had COVID. And somewhere in the in the footage, they saw like her uh, her moped or something, and so they got her license plate, and then tracked her down that way and oh sent her goodness. into the camp. Yeah. And in the end, she wasn't even uh, she, she wasn't even a carrier, right? Yeah. Wow. So she she never had COVID in in the entire span of that altercation, I guess. I'm telling you, it's almost like uh, you know people who do these who do this work, they're sort of just like, oh, finally something you know <laughs> interesting to spice up my day. Like, I'm going to go and chase this person down because, well, I guess it's part of my responsibilities and I haven't really chased people before, I guess. So now uh, here, here's a good chance. Yeah, My job is to enforce the rules and I don't care what those rules are. Yeah. Or I saw a lot of examples of that in just in that interview where she recorded on her phone uh, when she was at the camp that there was uh, there was like two or three, uh, I guess, policemen that showed up. You couldn't really tell because they're, they're like, dressed in uh, almost, like, Tyvek suits mm-hmm. and then, like, uh, face shield and mask and stuff. And they're, like, there's a line on the on the balcony of your unit or whatever. You cross that line, you get a $5,000 fine. Or, like, if as long as you're not wearing a... As long as you're wearing a mask, you're okay. But you can only... Like, the only thing you're allowed to leave your porch and go do is, like, to go do laundry, which is... Like a, I don't know. See, was, I haven't, I haven't looked at that personally, but w- that that sounds a bit disturbing. When you describe that right now, you know, it, it, in my head, I'm like, hold on, this sounds a lot like. So it sounds a lot like either the Squid Game, right? Or, or we're talking here about something, you know, more sinister. Just this human idea of having some kind of satisfaction from running actual, you know, think concentration camps, right? Like Nazis also thought they were doing with the with their. Again, I'm not trying to draw a direct comparison between the two, but it's a bit. Um, there's like some shadows of that in there. As you described, like you cross this line, you get... Again, yeah, I, it's almost like you would, like they want to see how good of a job they do and like achieving different goals by using the same methods, I guess. Because like she was talking, and this is the same, this is like a half hour interview and there was so much in there. Um, but she was talking about how she got, uh, either someone directly told her or there was like a note on her... Um, on her door that she if she wanted a valium prescription 
then or after, they took some kind of evaluation of her and, and basically offered her a Valium prescription if she if she wanted it to like calm her nerves and stuff. I think Valium's like a muscle relaxer. It's interesting because like you've read Brave New World, right? Like mm-hmm. it's uh you can draw parallels there where people are just they they have this drug that's meant to pacify them and uh, meant to kind of keep them in within the confines of like this is your like you you have all this autonomy but you're never gonna use it in a way that endangers the state. Isn't that something that you would think? So, for example, when a government wants to achieve its uh, vision, it doesn't even have to be utopian vision, just this, you know, bright vision of what they feel like would really move the world forward in a good way. You'd want to people to essentially just agree with the plan and, and conform to that because, of course, you've you've thought through it and this is totally the best plan. And if only those uh, dissenters or would um, you know be removed or or kind of well, you, see your point, and then for sure you would have achieved what you were going after. Right. You want to you want the satisfaction of seeing your plan actually working out. Right, the well, way that you intended. And so, yeah. if if that's what it takes, you know, pacifying people, considering the religious zeal that people have nowadays for their political views you would see that almost any means would would justify the end when you give a person a a cause that is so high and noble such as saving the world from the pandemic that's where the switch in the mind goes like oh like this is above like these people are whoever is in the camp and they're trying to break the rules they're going against the whole world and i am the last guardian of you know the bright future and so that's where that's where it gets scary because it's like they will go and take measures which otherwise would have looked uh, draconian we would say or or, you know really bad and horrible in relation to humanity but they are just so justified in their grander purpose you mentioned religious zeal and politics i do think that there's i think there's room for some discussion there and it has to do with religious institutions um, there is uh, an article from the Moscow Times. Uh, it talked about a top official in the Orthodox Church, uh, Russian Orthodox Church, saying that refusing to take the vaccine is something that, uh, quote, you'll have to atone your whole life for the sin you committed that you thought about yourself and not another person, end quote. Uh, as a side note, there was a poll that said 54% of Russians um, refuse to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the past, I think we've mentioned how uh, our you know, our social justice pope also has a similar message where he said there's a, a moral obligation to take the vaccine. Um, now, we know that this isn't a monolithic message as the, as far as the universal church is concerned, because, I mean, I know pastors that are sharing a, a completely opposite message, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, think how much sway this holds over people and how much power these individuals have. So how can you reconcile this? Uh, with the task of the personal task of requesting a religious exemption, like in my perspective as a Christian, I'm thinking you know my worldview is religious in relation to all areas of my life, and so I constantly reevaluate my perspective with what the Bible teaches, what the Holy Spirit guides, and uh, my the way I look at it is that my religious belief is based on a principle, moral obligations that I find in the Bible, right? And the Bible teaches us that our body, our mind, our soul, they're redeemed, they belong to our creator, the God of the universe, whom we gladly serve and are very wise to submit to. And that includes our conscience, which in turn, if you go to the Bible, it says that it's to be clear and not violated by peer pressure, institutions, you know, governments, individuals. And so considering 
the the way I look at it personally is considering the circumstances that we're in right now, the unknown future effects of the vaccine, you know, the the considering dwindle efficacy of the vaccine and and the current challenges, you know, on a federal level, among other reasons, I personally cannot, you know, in my clear faithful conscience proceed to take the vaccine. And so the Bible on top of that teaches us not to rush into decisions. Consider everything carefully, prayerfully. And so we have to take seriously the task of caring for our bodies for the glory of God. I do list first Timothy one nineteen, then there's James four seventeen about having clear conscience, and then the body being the temple. And so with that, I think that it is a responsibility on each individual because there's a lot of things that we could be doing. I guess you could be taking all like, do we apply this to all the vaccines now? Or or is it only to the COVID vaccines? Do we how far do we go into, you know, submitting our body to to you know for the good of the society how far do we go into submitting ourselves to some kind of medical procedures just so that it would benefit our neighbors right i I think there's there's a line there what is there to be said about relying on the conscience of a church leader for example we had the pope and the orthodox guy um, and then i mean local pastors and things like that because you're effectively if you if you take them on their word and do as they say. You're you're pushing the responsibility of the choice on them, or are you making the mistake of of living by a stranger's conscience? I, I think for, as Christians, as Christians, I think it's 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 good that we don't focus on any one person in particular except Jesus, the person of of Christ, and that probably helps us. Is that we can listen to the opinions of the people we respect, and that's that's really cool, you know, to hear how they have processed it from maybe their position of, of, of a deeper knowledge of the scripture or um, sometimes even a more spiritual, more deeper relationship with God. But as that, it just stands, you know, as guidance. So say, for example, if there was today a, a plague that was sweeping through the earth, a real plague that would kill people. And if we had evidence that we are undisputed evidence, that we as Christians are contributing to the cause by not taking the vaccine, and that vaccine is really effective and it really stops it, I am pretty positive that we would probably the first ones in line to to take the vaccine. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that in that uh, church leaders are human. Um, their word is not necessarily like, it's not the inspired word of God per se. I'm concerned that it has to come to a religious exemption. Like there should be an exemption called, I don't want to, right? Especially, you know, because this isn't, this is the bubonic plague, um, you know, in terms of personal risk assessment. You have the, I'm not going to get into it, but there's, there's a perfectly valid philosophical and rational reason to make a risk assessment for yourself and decide that it's not for you. I think that as far as uh, arriving at an anti-vaccine position purely based on scripture, uh, you may have to do some acrobatics. And I've, you know, I, I listened to yours and I've, I've read through... Uh, a few other people's, um, I still think that because vaccines didn't exist back then when it was written. And so it's it's really not directly addressed, uh, but you can do it. Um, and the people reading it, I mean, they're heathens, they don't care, you know, like we, like we talked about off air, but, um, you know, there's, you should still 
you know, be seeking to have integrity in your spiritual beliefs and in your religious views. There's a lot to be said uh, about, you know, your body being a temple and, you know, you're consciously bringing harm to oneself if you make the wrong risk assessment. But uh, most important to me is the principle that uh, if there is no man that you can appeal to, um, your last resort is to appeal to heaven. And so, you know, that was the rhetoric that founded the country we live in, and uh, it's, it's an irrevocable truth. Well, that's all for the stories for this week. We are so glad you've joined us for another episode of Life Ring. Please consider following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Uh, just type in Life Ring Podcast. Also consider sharing it with a friend or a family member that would benefit from a weekly overview of the current events from a conservative and Christian perspective. And as always, we would like to remind you that there is no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the world so that everyone who comes to him would be saved. We encourage you to seek him if you haven't already. Thank you for listening to Life Ring, and we'll see you next week.